So we're going to continue in our operation reconciliation, becoming effective fishers of men to bear fruit that remains, incorporating productive strategies of evangelism into the daily life of the church. Um, and I just want to reiterate before we start, because this is we were having this conversation uh, into like if you want to be uh, backed by uh, RCF or GCF, as in far as the leadership have our kind of uh, quote, end quote, accreditation or our backing or our like, yes, go, uh, then coming to these Tuesdays or meeting with someone regularly to get them equipped would be mandatory, right? It's because like, I'm like, I'm super proud. I'm like actually really blown away that it wasn't just like me and Daniel sharing the gospel because uh, I asked Daniel if he wanted to like on Wednesday and I think it was a yes. I don't think you replied, so I just said, hey, let's go. <laughs> let's go. Uh, and I think I gave everybody, like, uh, I don't know, like 24 hours, a little bit over 24 hours notice to say, hey, let's go share the gospel on Friday night. It's uh, St. Patty's Day weekend. Uh, there's a ton of other things you could be doing. But let's go share the gospel to people downtown or possibly drunk or not drunk. Um, and eight people showed up, which was, like, really surprising. Because uh, I didn't actually uh, expect a lot of people to like just be on board in that short of notice, right? I thought it was like, hey, let's go out partying. They were like, yeah, we could, we could have had like 45 people, <laughs> right? But like, let's go share the gospel. Uh, I was, so I'm very pleasantly surprised, and I was very happy. And I thought it was a great time. We had uh, Daniel, Sam Awante, uh Adam, myself, uh Josiah, Teresa, Liz, and Kristen uh, all came out. But one of the reasons why I say like it'd be imperative or necessary that you either come to Tuesdays for the rest of this and uh, go through the workshops if you want to be backed by the leadership to go out and share the gospel or meet with somebody one-on-one uh, is because uh, part of this is like we haven't even gotten to the gospel yet and we're not going to get to the gospel for like... <laughs> until after school is over. <laughs> so, uh, you know, as Paul said, like, who has bewitched you into, like, believing another gospel? Um, you know, it's one thing to, like, to meet with somebody one-on-one and, like, have a conversation with them and find out what they believe. And But as far as, like, going out in evangelism, uh, there's, like, you have to know the practical nuts and bolts of the gospel, right? Like, you would never want to reaffirm somebody who is apostate and apart from Christ that God loves them and that they're secure, <laughs> Because that would, number one, be lying, uh, and that would give them security of a supposed salvation when they're really damned to hell. <laughs> so that would, not, that would not be a good strategy, right? So to bring about uh, conviction, which brings about you know, repentance and life change and getting integrated with the church and really come and uh, make Christ your Lord and Savior, you know, it would all be like really important things. Uh, so we just had a couple you know, things where... Uh, it becomes more evident, at least from my standpoint or my way of thinking, as to why like these Tuesdays will be really good for that if that's your goal. Uh, and if you can't come on, like there's I think three or four people that I talk to that can't come on Tuesdays, so they're going to meet with somebody uh, else that's not me some other time, which is cool too. Uh, so I'm guessing like you know I asked Jane I was like what do you what do you guys want to learn today? And she's like how to share the gospel. And it's like too bad we're not to that yet. <laughs> <laughs> we're not even to the gospel. It's going to be like another four or five weeks till we get to the gospel. 
all of this is we're just still rediscovering uh, and looking at the pattern that uh, Christ puts down and the early church and the church throughout history, we'll see, uh, to some degree, has put down of, of patterns of specifically evangelism, right? So um, I gave everybody, I think it was last week, last week did we get to pass out this uh, evangelism scriptures to memorize with, I think it's 45 different verses. Some of those are like on there twice because they fall under two different categories. There's only one, so I think it would be 45 or 46 verses, uh, which you guys should have that memorized by like tomorrow. Yeah, uh, remind me, I've got extra copies in my bag. I'll, if anybody needs a copy, uh, get a hold of me. i got extra ones here with me right now, or I can email them to you, whatever. Um, so, uh, we looked at last week about the um, just the pattern of training that Christ set forward, you know, in the Gospels of training the disciples of how to equip them of information, formation, and impartation, different kinds of discipleship, uh, principles of pattern or modeling the pattern of like, you know, uh, the gospel has to go deep inside of you first, right? For you to like actually become effective for fruit that remains, right? We could, we could bear a lot of fruit, but whether it remains or not will be a question yet to be answered. Uh, and the more you model the pattern and the more the gospel infiltrates your life on a daily basis in character and word and thought process, uh, the more you're going to impart that into others as, as we go along through history. So we're still not to the gospel. <laughs> we're still not, we're not even close yet. Uh, we're getting there. Baby steps. Uh, so in this part of today, we're going to look at uh, a time to pray and a time to say. Corporate prayer and ministry of reconciliation. We're looking at like, uh, we're looking at patterns. Um, there's a couple things I always mention to get people's way of thinking, of saying like, God never does anything on earth except through and by the Holy Spirit. The Father and Son are reserved in heaven, and everything they do is by the Holy Spirit. And also, uh, as far as advancing God's kingdom. Uh, the Holy Spirit never does anything outside of his church. So the two main things I usually bring out are that God never accomplishes any of his will outside of the Holy Spirit and outside of the church. Uh, and there's one more I usually tack on there once we understand those concepts biblically, is that uh, God almost never does anything, uh, from what I can tell in Scripture, uh, outside of prayer that none of his will is actually being incarnate and coming into uh, reality, the material world, outside of uh, believers moved by the Holy Spirit who are in the church to pray. <laughs> so uh, I haven't thought much deeper on that, if there's anything else that, like, you know, God's modes or methods um, are. But, I mean, you can see that, like, even in, you know, restoring... Uh, the temple and stuff in Ezra and Nehemiah, it always starts with, uh, you know, Ezra, is it Ezra? Or is it Nehemiah's, like, prayer? Um, you know, and that's a uh, reality that God put forth in Scripture for us to know and model the pattern, right? So we could start, once we understand this, of saying, um, if God's accomplishing all things through prayer, then uh, if we're not praying 
God's not going to accomplish anything, right, if we find that out scripturally. Uh, but uh, if we are praying, then uh, we're going to see things accomplished if we're praying according to his will. So um, this is kind of like a sub-series of another series, which we can you can find on, on the podcast. Uh, and I'd have to think about what it's called. It's... Uh, Uh, I think it's like an effective corporate prayer, uh, effective kingdom corporate prayer. I'd have to look at the podcast again. I don't remember what the title of it is, but uh, <laughs> I actually remember. <laughs> like it changed my life so much, like understanding prayer biblically. Uh, I was at a party once with a bunch of Christian brothers, and I was uh, I was uh, filled with wine, <laughs> which is debauchery, right? I wasn't filled with the Spirit. Uh and, but, like, there was so much conviction that came on my life or within me by the Holy Spirit that I was, like, there was all these, like, Christian people there. And I was, like, we should be praying. And I was just, like, crying. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was, like, we need to be praying. I've totally messed up. Uh, and I haven't been that drunk in a while. A couple of years. Uh, but, like, the Lord brought a lot of conviction uh, through just, like, understanding uh, prayer and especially corporate prayer. So let's start with... Um, just a couple of statements on <coughs> what is prayer and the need for it. So, uh, number one, corporate prayer is necessary is a necessary prerequisite for visitation and effective evangelism. Right. So, uh, we talked about was it last week or the week prior about First Chronicles thirteen uh, and mainly First Chronicles fifteen with the Ark of the Covenant. Right. So, what do we mean by like visitation? If there's a visitor, who's the visitor we're talking about? God, the Holy by the Holy Spirit, right? Uh, so, uh, what do we talk about? What is First Chronicles 13 with David and the Ark? Uh, he's bringing them back to Jerusalem, but they're not carrying it the prescribed way, and Uzzah dies. So then they have to rethink their whole strategy, and then they're like, "Oh, yeah, we need to consult God about how to do this." And actually. Read the God, you know, the, the Bible. It's like, oh, we need to be carrying it, not on a cart. The, the Levites need to be carrying it. Yeah, and nobody at Edom's house gets blessed, mm-hmm. right? And they reexamine scriptures, right? So uh, we could probably have, uh, which we'll get into this somewhere on this, you know, under point B, uh, B3. Like, we could have effective evangelism. We can get people um, effective uh, to a certain point to say, like we can, I bet I can go out and uh, and John Bradbury, you and I would be good at this because we we're both salesmen. Uh, we can go out and convince people and sell people and get people in the church. <laughs> I bet I could, right? Uh, I would make like a really good like uh, mega church, uh, low gospel, maybe even cult leader. I don't know, uh, right? Because good at sales, charismatic, right? Anybody, right? But that. Uh, that would do no good. It wouldn't, like, you notice uh, all cults fall apart. Jim Jones led a very effective cult, but it all fell apart in one day. Uh, he thought he was God. Right. Um, you know, like, uh, you know, the world mission uh, something, something, Church of God, which is the God or Mother people on campus, they go out and they're evangelizing, but they're not having a visitation from God where his manifest present and spirit and blessings are present, right? 
that's what we're seeking. Like corporate prayer is the necessary prerequisite for a visitation from the creator of the universe to come down and dwell among us in a more powerful and manifest way, uh, which scripturally is important. And uh, as a group of people is important, right? To seek, to not do it, you know, any old way like we saw in, you know, David carrying the ark and, you know, for, doesn't actually say, at least from what I can remember, how long the ark was at Obed-Edom's house before he recognized it was blessed, but they were carrying on in worship and uh, temple service without the manifest presence of God and without the ark of the covenant. Just uh, as, was it three months? three months? Oh, thank you. Uh, for three months, they were like, we're good without that, <laughs> right? But we're not good without that. <laughs> we're not good, <laughs> right? So it's a necessary prerequisite for visitation and effective evangelism. Um, so uh, let's go this way. Jane, read that Luke 10, uh, 1 through 3. Uh, we probably won't read. I added a whole bunch of verses today to this outline. Probably we'll select a couple um, and not read every single one. So just kind of, you know where you are in line, kind of be prepared. Luke 10, 1 through 3. Yeah, so he doesn't say the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few, so uh, go out and gather a bunch of people, get them, you know, first trained, and then teach them presuppositional apologetics and how to overcome the fear of man, right? That's not his, like, initial point, although all those things would be maybe... Uh, good to study and know later on, right? And you need to go out and get people. But he says, first, uh, beseech or earnestly pray to the Lord of the harvest that, that laborers will be sent out, right? So uh, one of the, I'm going to keep reiterating this until I kind of like do it one of these days, or probably next year. Uh, I really want to do a study on like, you know, the world systems or the modern worldviews of our day that influence us as Christians that overcome us uh, against scripture. And one of those is uh, this Arminian idea of, or more Arminian idea, and that lowers and heightens man's sovereignty over God's sovereignty. Uh, uh, So Christ right off the bat says like, go and pray to God because he's gonna raise up people to send him out. He's exalting God's sovereignty and election and choosing people, even the ones to go out, right? and to get people from the harvest. He's not like implementing a plan of attack, right, that we like to do. Like I'm more like nuts and bolts, like, hey, this is what we do, let's get people together. We can do this in our own strength, let's go. And I often neglect praying. I very often, I'm like, I meet with people and I'm like, I forget to pray with people. (laughs) But (laughs) what's the point? I'm wasting my time (laughs) if we're not not praying, right? So we can incorporate uh, strategies and stuff, but without prayer, it's like, absolutely useless. Um, we already said that corporate prayer is a prerequisite to visitation, but also corporate prayer is the catalyst to visitation. Uh, so I'm going to steal uh, an exact phrase from uh, <laughs> uh, my shepherd, and I'm going to go directly to Sydney and say, what's a catalyst in chemistry? 
if you listen to the podcast on the same same series, which we don't have online, which I can get you CDs or something, or an MP3 or email it to you or something, uh, you can hear the exact same thing of, Sydney can describe to you exactly what a catalyst is. In chemistry, it's a compound that accelerates the chemical reaction without itself being consumed. <laughs> yeah, so it's, uh, say that one more time, just so I can understand that. <laughs> In chemistry, a catalyst is a chemical that can accelerate a chemical reaction without itself being consumed. Yeah, so the, in order to have that chemical reaction, you need the substance to be put in, right? and itself won't get consumed, but, uh, so in order to have visitation, uh, let's look at all of these, uh, Luke, Acts, Acts, and Acts. Uh, so Sydney, can you read Luke 1, 8 through 11, and we'll just keep going down the line. Sam Wante, can you read Acts 1, 14, and 2, 1 through 4, and then, uh, Bradbury, can you read Acts, that Acts 13? There appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Yeah, so it's easy to miss if we're not like actively reading, but it's that one sentence that says the whole multitude of Israel was standing outside praying, right? And then an angel of the Lord came, right? That was an important thing that Luke points out. It wasn't that they were just like, uh, you know, really hoping and, and thought or something. It was they were actively all together corporately joined in prayer. And then an angel visited Zechariah. Was it Zechariah? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, Acts one fourteen and, and 2, 1 through 4. All of these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Yeah, so the day of Pentecost, the 120 uh, disciples in the upper room. Uh, if I'm remembering this right, uh, you know, it's somewhere between like. 10 days, or up to 10 days, right, between uh, when Christ's ascension and the day of Pentecost. I think it's like up to 10 days or something. Uh, so up to 10 days, they were joined corporately in the upper room together in one Honda Accord and praying together, right? Uh, uh, just making sure you guys are still, still awake and paying attention. Uh, right, they were all gathered together corporately, 120, uh, and praying together. And then after, you know, I think it's, someone can fact check me on that one if it's right, up to 10 days, right? Because it's 50 days from Passover to Pentecost, and Jesus was with them 40 days. So I just figure up to 10 days. So 10 days probably. Um, you know, they're in a 10-day-long prayer meeting. And we think we're, we're thinking we're doing really good with like one all-night prayer, you know, every couple of months. Uh, but they were praying for like 10 days, right? Uh, who was it? The more I. <laughs> uh, 
I can't remember if it was the more, if you pronounce it Moravians or more, Moravians. Moravians. Uh, they did pretty good. They had a hundred year long prayer meeting. So you guys got a little work. <laughs> right. So the, the corporate prayer uh, is the catalyst for visitation we're seeing. Um, then Bradbury, that Acts 13, one through three. Yeah, I think all these uh, examples come out, you know, in the pot, in the model and pattern that we're going to see um, of corporate prayer. But like that's just another one. Like they were in order for uh, Barnabas and Saul to be, you know, sent out. Uh, what was the prerequisite? They were all praying together, fasting, uh, seeking the Lord, and then the Holy Spirit comes and visits them and says, "Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul," right? And then they get sent out by the church. So. Um, this is where I get the idea that, like, you know, God doesn't actually... I was trying to find it. I kind of ran out of a little bit of time, but, uh, you know, you could look at... Uh, I think it's Second Chronicles 20. Uh, I'm going to look to John Luke for this one. Uh, where the one king is, you know, being sent into battle and uh, starts with a J. Jehoshaphat. Is it Jehoshaphat? Uh if I'm right with Second Chronicles 20, or maybe it's First Chronicles 20, I know there's a 20 in there, better with numbers, uh, of, and they pray and prophesy over the people, and then they go into worship, and then the two, um, two enemies, whoever they were, end up defeating each other down to the last one. Right? It doesn't say, like, like God decided to use prayer, right? One man's corporate prayer and leading a body of people and, and prophesying, right? It doesn't, the Lord doesn't just visit people, and then enact his will. He visits people, causes them to pray corporately, uh, and then God wins the victory. All right? So, and that happens, like, over and over. Even, um, I have to find it, I was looking for it briefly today, but uh, might be Isaiah 59, I'd, or somewhere 64 or something, between 59 and 64, where... God's saying that like none of the priests are clean, nobody is clean, and he's going to actually cause you, your hearts are so wicked, until he causes you to repent and to cry out to the Lord, right? So it's not like he causes your wicked hearts to change and then you start living well. It's like the, the prayer, the crying out, the, you know, saying like, Lord, help me, like is going to be part of that, you know, in him, the Lord changing your heart and causing you to pray to be restored, right? So, uh... This is why we need to, like, you know, we're looking at, like, legitimately and logistically implementing a program and a way of life into the church, uh, into the daily life of RCF and GCF, uh, of bearing fruit that remains, right? So part of that is evangelism. We'll get to that eventually. (laughs) You know, we'll eventually make a schedule and send people out uh, on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, every week. So you can go to you can go evangelize Monday, Wednesday, Friday. You can go to Bible studies on Tuesdays, Thursdays. You can go to book groups on Wednesdays. You can go to uh, worship on Fridays. You can go to uh, Sunday church and class afterwards. And you can take systematic class, systematic systematic theology classes afterwards. Uh, and we'll have like 
you know, individual like book groups and book studies throughout the week. Uh, and you can live in a single brothers and single sisters household, uh, you know, and, um, and part of it's going to be we're going to like, you know, you can join the women's prayer group on Wednesdays, I think, at the Red Hot House. If you're whatever. See, I obviously haven't been. <laughs> women's prayer group, see? Uh, you know, and, and part of that backing is going to have to be like corporate prayer. You know, for those people who are out there uh, evangelizing, making disciples, leading groups, shepherding, teaching, evangelizing, you know, whatever. Um, so if we don't back it by prayer, like we're actually just like wasting our time. Uh, we're, race, we're wasting our resources and everything. Because um, if we look scripturally that it is the catalyst for visitation, if it is the catalyst for uh, and a prerequisite for effective evangelism, then we could be praying like things that are not necessarily biblical or that God wants in his will or plan. Um, and we could be doing that for years and just wasting our lives. Isn't that something to look forward to? <laughs> Lord, I prayed for 45 years that the prosperity gospel was real and it's still not real. Maybe I should just <laughs> keep praying. <laughs> keep going. No, it's never going to uh, It's never gonna be real. So you can pray all your life. <laughs> if you're not praying... The right thing is we're going to see that it's uh, not effective either. So uh, let's define and rethink prayer. So I added on here uh, some things that normally isn't on this outline and I didn't do it a couple of years ago is the New City Catechism that we teach uh, on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and 10.30 to the kids that can read, read well at least. Um, uh, so New City Catechism question number 38 is what is prayer? So uh, the answer is prayer is pouring out our hearts to God in praise, petition, petition confession of sin, and thanksgiving. Um, and that does pretty good. That's the uh, adult version. If you, notice, if you know anything about the New City Catechism or you've uh, looked into it, there's like a kid's version, which is shorter. Like, so the kid's version is just prayer is pouring out our hearts to God, but the adult version adds all the, all the ways of prayer, right? So, but we're going to go a step further and define prayer as a dynamic interplay or communication between God and us, whereby his purposes are born, grown, and established. Right? It's a two-way street. Like, prayer isn't just like me submitting my request to God and hoping he fulfills it. Right? As we read that Acts 13, that Bradbury read, is they prayed, they fasted, God talked back to them. This is what you shall do. Right? That's what uh, part of prophecy is. Right, as in we're you know corporately worshiping or whatever, uh, we have a word from the Lord of uh, encouragement, admonition, and exhortation that we feel is from the Lord. We say it right. God talks back to us. Um, you know, we'll get into next week what are like. Uh, some people do five. It depends on how you want to divide it up. There's like between five and seven types of prayer uh, that the Bible normally speaks of, or those five five or seven, depending on how you want to group them, uh, types of prayer. And most of what we think of is like petitions, like, Lord, please help me uh, with this thing that I can probably do myself, but, you know, if you did, it'd be a lot easier. <laughs> be a lot easier, Lord, if uh, you just gave me that, right? Lord, please give me a job, but I don't want to look for one. Uh, just have him call me. That'd be cool, right? Or... Lord, please give me a wife, but, like, I don't want to change my character or my ways. Just 
give me one that's really awesome <laughs> or whatever, right? We're used to petitions and not necessarily even like biblical petitions, you know? Uh, even like, you know, that whole idea that I was talking about of a more Arminian way of thinking of man's sovereignty being exalted is like we do that all the time and like, Lord, please help me. Uh, but the only time that I could see that like biblically, uh, I didn't go through the entire Bible looking for this, but as far as what I've seen is, especially in the Psalms, like when it says, Lord, help me, it's like, Lord, help me. I'm going to die and there's no other way out and there's the only source of salvation is you. It's not like, Lord, help me a little bit to overcome this, and uh, I could probably do it on my own, but I just need a little push. No, it's like, Lord, help me. I'm totally entrapped, and I'm dead, and I'm ruined, and I'm damned without you, right? So, uh, so how do we got that far off topic? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, we got there somewhere. Um, but it's a two-way in interplay, uh, whereby, like, because we said it's a prerequisite for visitation and... Uh, is a catalyst that whereby his purposes are born, grown, and established. You know, I don't. I bet we can go around the room and you know uh, ask like, how many times has each person individually, or has you know individuals like received from God during a time of prayer or reading, which is like reading scripture, understanding, worship, that you've gotten a sense from God for a purpose that He wants to enact, right? Like, uh, has anybody? I mean, has that happened to anybody? Like you've been in, like you've been reading the Bible, which is a type of prayer, uh, and you've been like, "Wow, I think God wants me to, you know, do this or or whatever." John Luke, holler it out. Let's hear some. Well, I was asking the Lord to help me with patience, and of course, it doesn't happen that quickly. So, in the process of being patient, doing work, I started to realize there was a whole lot of like things that my boss kept telling me to do on the fly, and I realized that I couldn't get it done within a certain period of time, so I was waiting for my Yeah, great. Um, so let's look at a couple of these verses. Uh, let's do, where are we at? Uh, Adam, let's do 1 Corinthians 2, 9 through 13. And then we'll probably skip that Matthew. And Deanna, I might have you do that Colossians. But I kind of have to be reminded about what exactly it says before, I, before we skip it. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, 
who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Does that go down to say, where does it say we have the mind of Christ? I think it might be, I think I'm going to cut off one or two verses early. Yeah. So then if you jump down to 16, it just says, like, for we have the mind of Christ, right? So, like, in prayer, like, we're praying uh, and asking by the Holy Spirit that has, that searches the depths uh, of God the Father that gives us the mind of Christ. It's like, that's that dynamic two-way interplay, right, that we have that very same spirit that, uh, and the very same mind of Christ, which is why we could know God's purposes and plans, not just primarily through Scripture, but in prayer, right, how to, like, physically, materially, like flesh out God's will and plan for the earth and advance his kingdom. All right, we'll come back to that Matthew uh, passage at some point. Uh, Deanna, can you read Colossians 1, 9 through 11? Yeah. So Paul's prayer for the Colossians isn't that they just be filled with the knowledge of God's will, but the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual understanding and wisdom. How do we uh, know? Like, just let's just take it from like a thousand-yard view. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as is as it is in heaven. Right. That God's kingdom would be fully manifest on earth as much as He wills. Right? And advancing his kingdom and his ways and his glory and his power. Right? So how do we, uh, with discernment, uh, enact those in American culture, in our uh, families, in our individual lives, in our you know, private lives? How do we do that at work? Right? That's going to take like real searching God in wisdom and spiritual understanding and how to enact his will right here on earth. Um, you know, so it has to be a two-way, two-way street where he, he opens our eyes to those things, and it has to be through prayer. So uh, under defining and rethinking prayer, uh, number two, uh, rethinking through faith, um, looking at great expectations, not religious obligations, and low view of God's plans, right? So like when we pray, like what are we praying for? Um, I always like to uh, poke fun of uh, premillennial dispensationists as far as not the people, but as far as the, the view to show, like, are we praying that, like, uh, towards more of, like, a God rapture us out quickly, come quickly? Like when we say, like, you know, Maranatha at the end of 1 Corinthians or something, it says, like, Lord, come quickly. Are we saying like that in a sense of like, Lord, rapture us out quickly, or Lord, come quickly and act your will, your presence, be with your people, uh, and renew the entire earth until the whole earth is a new creation and every individual is 
uh, aware of the knowledge of the glory of, of God as the waters covers the sea, right? So what's your, uh, by like what faith and what expectation are you praying? Um, so how would, uh, before we get into like another definition, uh, like so instantly when we throw out faith, like what do you guys think of? Like how would you guys define faith? What's that say? What's that mean? Yeah, it's not like. Yeah, it's like you know it. Like uh, faith is an epistemology, right? Like I know it. It's assured to me. Like deep down, it is the truth that is true and truer than truth itself, <laughs> or something, right? It's not like faith isn't like uh, I'm taking a step and I might fall, right? But it's like faith is like taking a step and you know you're not going to fall because you're so assured, right? It is the assurance uh, of things not seen. You're, you know that you know that you know, right? It's not like some nebulous like just, uh, you know, belief or, you know, assent to some intellectual assent. Um, you know, it's like a real... Like this is my way of life. It defines it defines your entire way of life and everything, right? So when we're redefining and rethinking uh, corporate prayer through faith, you know, not as a religious obligation, right? Um, you know, before in the Matthew account that Jesus teaches on the Lord's Prayer, when he, his disciples say like teaches how to pray, as John prayed, he says, you know, don't be like uh, I don't know if he identifies the Pharisees who just like heap up empty words due to man's tradition, right? Like we don't just like pray uh, and just say things because like, well, it's part of the pattern. We're gonna do it. And I don't really care, right? But I gotta do it to do it, right? It's a religious obligation. It's something I gotta do for my right standing before God. Uh, instead of like a, this is what like God's going to use to enact His kingdom, and He's gonna by His grace use us as a corporate people to see His kingdom come. Right, that we would like enjoy praying. Um, you know, low, we kind of already talked about like a low view of God's plans. Uh, you know, Romans fourteen twenty three. Without faith, uh, anything not done in faith is sin. Um, let's probably read where are we at Anvesh. Uh, read that James one five through eight, and we might read that First John passage. So how do you, like, go about interpreting that to even say, like, unless you believe assuredly and have the faith that you're not going to receive anything that you pray for? Yeah. Like, I don't even know how you can go about another interpretation that says, like, uh, you know, just pray in faith. You know, there was an instance, um, which is why these, you know, we're using these Tuesdays as a training where... Uh, like one thing you wouldn't want to do in evangelism 
is like telling atheists to just pray uh, for Jesus to enter your heart for a week and that he'll do it because that's not biblical that's not accurate and there's no assurance that if you pray Jesus come into my heart that he is obligated to do that that's not how it works <laughs> right uh, you have to pray because you're not even praying in faith so right there uh, you're like well I hope this Jesus guy is kind of real maybe if I pray uh, you know that's not how it works um, you're already a double-minded man, unstable in all your ways. Uh, what you need to do is repent. <laughs> you know, get conviction that uh, which you need God to give you the faith to even get there, right? So, uh, let's read that First John. Daniel, if you want to read that one. Yeah, that's pretty straightforward, right? Like, we can't be double-minded. We can't be, like, unsure. Uh, like, if if we're praying, like, we're praying with confidence, with, like, trust and belief and faith that God's going to actually, he is like the sovereign God that he puts himself forward in his word, that he's going to accomplish all those things. Um, you know, uh, if you look at, like, the history of post-millennialism, the belief uh, throughout the church is it took a really hard dip uh, after and during World War II as far as uh, the universal church is because they were looking at their surroundings and we're not going to go into the whole backstory about how we got there but if you look at if you're looking at your surroundings um, of like well you know the Third Reich is rising to power and it's, you know this is looking imminent that there's going to be world domination and the world's coming to an end Right, uh, you're looking through your own lenses and your own God, essentially, and uh, through that your perception of reality is reality and not God's word. But it's very hard to get away uh, scripturally to believe that like the knowledge of the glory of God is going to cover the earth as the waters cover the seas. That what God set out to accomplish to renew all of creation is going to happen. And that's even like still, if you look at your surroundings, if we look at the world today, it's still a little hard to believe if we're just going off of that and being honest, right? But we have to have faith that God's word is our foundation and truth for reality, uh, foundation for truth and reality, and that he is the God that he says he is, and we can know that, and that's how we're all to, we ought to pray. <laughs> right? So uh, we have to re actually rethink and have the expectations that God has, and I think... Um, I think maybe even John Weiss said it, or somebody said it recently. I don't know. Could have been like a could have been a heretic. I was watching on YouTube or something. I don't know. Uh, pray big prayers. <laughs> I don't know where I heard it recently, but I think it was John Weiss. Could have been. Was it Friday? Yeah. Yeah. See, uh, I was just having a conversation with Josiah a couple of days ago about like I can't remember anything, and he was telling me exactly like we had that conversation like two weeks ago. <laughs> I can remember some things, but I can't remember the situations. Uh, like weddings. And who was there? <laughs> I kind of remember you being there, but... 
It was a big day. It was a big day. <laughs> right. So uh, we need to think like prayer, you know, through faith of being confident that we have like whatever we ask according to God's will, like he said he's going to set out and he's going to accomplish that. And he's going to do that through prayer. Right. All right. So under defining and rethinking prayer, number three, uh, a survey of biblical complete conversions in the epistles, more than numerical growth can be can only be accomplished by God, the Holy Spirit, you know, darkness to light, idols to living like it is a really, really supernatural thing that anybody gets converted to Christ, walks in a newness of life, uh, that walks out of one way of life into another, whether over time or instantaneously. It's all a complete miracle and gift from God because apart from the Holy Spirit, people don't change. Uh, Hillary Clinton was right if she completed that sentence correctly. She said, people don't change which is why she believes we need state-implemented plans to just minimize people uh, and their effect, right? Uh, but she didn't know that people change by the Holy Spirit, by the renewing of the preaching of the gospel through the church um, while people pray. <laughs> She's not aware to that reality yet. Uh, so, you know, the only real point we need to make um, on you know, surveying a uh, survey of biblically, biblically complete conversions is that, like, when we're talking about, like, bearing fruit that remains, we're not just, like, talking about, like, people and numbers getting into church. That's not what we want. Uh, that's not what we're going after. All right, we're looking at people who uh, get completely converted to Christ in real manifest ways, put away false gods and idols, serve the living God, and get a new life and progressively their uh, life becomes more and more dead and Christ becomes more and more alive in them, right? That is a totally supernatural thing that uh, we should be praying towards, right? We're going to look at it a little bit uh, today about, like, Paul's request for prayer, but he only does that a few times. What's more adamant in his epistles is how he's praying for other people. And I've wanted to put, uh, this is another thing that people can hold me, accountable for or something, uh, is like I've been wanting to put together just the scriptures of like Paul's request for prayer and the prayers that Paul has, you know, for his, for the churches that he's planted or other believers or Timothy or, you know, his disciples or whatever. Because uh, we looked at Colossians, he's praying that like people would be filled with the knowledge of God uh, and all spiritual wisdom and understanding that they filled with all of Christ's power and might to live in a manner worthy of the gospel of the king and that they'd be transferred from darkness into light, right? So those are, you know, the type of things we should be praying for. And that goes way beyond than, than like, Paul never prays that, like, we, I, I pray that you get, like, a 25% growth in Sunday morning attendance <laughs> next week or something. Uh, it's never, you know, we have to understand what a biblically complete conversion is you know, especially as, because our pattern, which is we're trying to do is biblically uh, accurate and wise in today's culture is uh, meeting with people one-on-one -on -one, because there's so many wild ideas out there in Christian culture and churches today of meeting with people one-on-one, -on -one, you know, not just getting to know them, but like understanding what their paradigms and way of church life and what they understand the gospel to be is like, you really need to like get to know those people, pray for those specific things, and um, 
you know, and how that, that, that person can grow, right? So there's point one. What is prayer? <laughs> Corporate prayer uh, is foundation for fruit bearing. So let's get right into the pattern, right? Uh, so the pattern in the New Testament, Jesus, Jerusalem, Antioch, and churches planted by Paul. So, you know, we looked at last week as, like, we need to look at patterns. The pattern is first the incarnate uh, God-man, Jesus Christ, as he is the perfect man, right? He's the second Adam. He is the ultimate pattern. Then he patterns, you know, he patterns all of Israel, uh, the people of God. So then we pattern uh, Paul, Peter, the New Testament churches, and then the pattern throughout, you know, all of Scripture, throughout the Old Testament and New Testament, other churches. Right, so that's what the kind of like the hierarchy we're looking at, and we're doing specifically in the church in Jerusalem, then in Antioch, and then other churches, and the Old Testament. Right, so let's look at Jesus's model and pattern of prayer. Um, where are we at, Kyle? Uh, can you read that Luke fifteen, or I'm sorry, Luke five fifteen and sixteen? Just on the page. Yep. Yeah, that's fine. But the news about him was spreading even farther. Yeah, let's actually just read through all of these, and then we'll talk about it a little bit. Uh, where are we at? Byron, can you read that? Luke six twelve through thirteen, and then Sam Chimpoon, Matthew nine thirty six through thirty eight and ten one. Yeah, so, uh, you know, that Luke 5 is a little bit different from the Luke 6 and Matthew 9, of where uh, Luke 6 and Matthew 9, like, there's something, there's going to be a big shift in, in change, right? Like, Jesus calls his first uh, uh, disciples, whom he called apostles, right? So he goes and prays all night um, to the Father, and then he comes down from the mountain, he was up on a mountain, uh, comes down and chooses the twelve, right? The night before he's gonna like really start his ministry of choosing people, calling them, um, preaching, right? He spends all night in prayer. And I think if I'm if I'm uh, looking at the chronology correctly, putting Matthew and Luke together, he prays all night, right? Because he says he didactically prayed all night. Comes down, chooses them. And then goes out and preaches all day. So he was up for like 48 hours, uh, you know, prefaced by like 8 to 12 hours of prayer. 
and worship. So when was the last time you did that, Austin? <laughs> when was the last yeah. time you, you prayed all night and chose 12 people to come and follow you? Yeah. <laughs> right, so we got a little bit of work to do. We are doing an all-night prayer. I think the Josiah's not here today, the 30th. It's in the good, Friday. Good Friday. I just found out that it's like Good Friday. So whenever Good Friday is, the 30th, next mm -hmm. Friday? Next Friday. Uh, you know, which we should, like, if we're looking at the model, it's not just fun to, like, push yourself and pray all night and do that with people. But, uh, you know, throughout history, there's been, you know, like IHOP. Uh, where's that? Is it in Kansas City? Yeah. Uh, like right now, it has a 24-hour prayer and worship room that's been going on for 15 years. That's pretty good, <laughs> right? Uh, you know, and they have uh, people that, like, give up, uh, you know, uh, portions of their life to be scheduled to pray and worship all night for, like, months or years. You know, that's pretty amazing because they find it that valuable uh, to do that, to that there's not going to be a single time in their ministry of where there's not somebody praying and crying out and worshiping God. <coughs> That's pretty powerful. Um, you know, I can't, I can't speak on IHOP of what their prayer movement has birthed, but I know, uh, I, I said earlier Moravians, but is it Moravians or Moravians? Anyways, Moravians. Uh, there's a question of pronunciation like out of the hundred years of prayer that they had day and night you know birth like uh, John and Charles you know Wesley to go out and start uh, the first great awakening <laughs> was part of that right at the towards the end uh, John met him on a boat and saw what dynamic prayer and worship they had and uh, but they'd been praying and crying out it was Count Zinde, Zinzendorf if I remember correctly who started it uh, this hundred year prayer effort and like it bursts out like essentially the first great awakening you know which converted and brought many people uh, nationwide uh, in England and Americas right uh, towards Christ and biblical conversions and planted multiple churches um, so Jesus models that by praying all night, praying for laborers to be sent out after, like, before big decisions, before, you know, big things are implemented. Christ is praying up, staying up all night praying, right? And he models that also in his teaching. Um, uh, of how to do that, right? In, in Matthew 6, uh, the Lord's Prayer, but also, you know, that Luke 5, like, these are people, like, he's crowded. He's 100% man, 100% God. He gets tired, he gets sick, he gets weary, he does have to sleep. He doesn't, uh, you know, his human flesh body doesn't get tired just because he's God, right? We kind of tend to think in, like, mystical, pietistic terms of, like, oh, Jesus could just add a win because he's God, stay up all night. But he still subjected himself to a human body and human nature. So uh, it says the crowds were gathered near to hear him, right, and to heal their sicknesses, but he would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. Uh, so though we're, we're geared more towards like corporate prayer in this series, like, you know, one thing that uh, I use as a gauge, you know, and when I'm meeting with people and questioning them of like where they are in bearing fruit for God uh, is like, and, you know, how deep their sovereignty of God really goes is like, do they waste like multiple hours or any time of their life 
I say waste, you know, they could be doing something else of praying, right? How much time do we spend praying is a good gauge of like how much we do really rely on God for his not just comfort, healing, restoration, strength, his will to be enacted, but like how much do we really rely on his sovereignty to be enacted and how much like, because we all struggle with like performance-based. We all struggle with like, I got this, right? So Jesus is the ultimate model pattern, right? In his life and teaching. All right, let's move on to the first church, Jerusalem. Uh, where are we? Uh, skip to you, Christine. Do you want to read that Acts 2.42, that first section, Acts 2.42 through 43, 46-47 and 3.1? And go ahead, John Luke, and read that next one, Acts 4.31. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. Yeah, so uh, before Acts 6, where they, um, is Acts 6 or Acts 7, Acts 8, where they get dispersed out of Jerusalem, except for the apostles and a, you know, a smaller selection of uh, disciples to keep the church in Jerusalem, right? Uh, the first early church modeled like the hour of prayer. So as far as what I understand um, is that that wasn't like a synagogue temple thing that was enacted and they were going to the temple and praying daily at a specific hour because that was already a, like a temple and synagogue ritual. That was something enacted by the early church to go out and pray communally together for an hour. Right? So that's how many of you guys gather together an hour and pray? Well, I guess like uh, Sam, uh, John Luke, Daniel, Byron, you guys uh, get together every morning for worship and pray, right? Yeah. What about... Uh, you guys, you said you guys did morning prayer and worship. We did. Yeah. So uh, these are the things, in, and then you guys have been getting together, right? So there's, like, multiple people in this room that are, like, praying together for, like, multiple hours, which is awesome. But, like, I, I encourage you all the more, <laughs> right? Continue, right? So the early church is the model. Um, this is what I find amazing. Let's go to uh, uh, Dan. Can you read Acts 6-4? Uh, then we'll move on to the church in Antioch. Yes, sir. Acts 6 4. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Well, I guess I cut that off a little. <laughs> Let's put a little context. Read uh, Acts 6 1 through 4, I guess. Acts 6 1 through 3. Okay. Because that kind of leaves everybody in the blank. I could have put more days, on there. Go ahead. And in those days, when the number of the disciples multiplied, there arose. 
collected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the work of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out amongst you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. And we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to ministry of the word. Yeah. So these are the apostles saying we're going to give ourselves continually to the prayer and the ministry of the word. Right? Uh, you know, while there was a dispute about like who's going to do like the day-to-day things of like that, right? So that's a high calling for someone who's a shepherd, teacher, apostle, you know, any kind of leader, right? To lay down that pattern and model of like not just ministry of the word, right? That's what I, I love. Uh, I love finding new depths to scripture. I don't love as much going to prayer, right? Because there's not as much, uh, you know, for sometimes there's, it doesn't seem as exciting to, or invigorating, you know, to just like sit down and, and pray for people, <laughs> right? Pray for others, pray for insights and, right? It's not as like, you know, active sometimes. It, it doesn't seem from my natural mind uh, which is a wrong way of thinking of as active, right? But Peter, the apostles, laid down the pattern of, like, as a leader, like, we're going to devote ourselves to prayer. Peter went up at the hour of prayer every day, right? That was a huge daily part of relying on God and the pattern to see his manifest presence and his glory and his purposes and his kingdom enacted on earth. All right, let's move on to Antioch. Uh where are we at? Austin. Uh, read that Acts 13. I know we've, we've read we read these earlier, but let's add a little bit more to them and read them again. Acts 13, 1 through 4. Now there were at Antioch in the church that, that there was there prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Menian, who had brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. Then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them out. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit. Yeah, sent out by, sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went out, right? So uh, does anybody know in Acts 13 roughly how many years it had been? Like 14. 14, right? It says that in Galatians 1 or 2. Good job. Uh, right? So they waited, like, you know, Paul, like, instantly went out in Damascus and started preaching, right? That's why he was persecuted and let through the window. But he didn't, like, really come into his ministry that God was calling him into until 14 years later. And part of that's due to, like, preparation and everything. But, like, he was seeking the Lord diligently and, like, when to be sent out, when to do. Like, he knew from his conversion, right, of what the accounts, the three different accounts that he gives in Acts, of he knew he was going to be an apostle to the Gentiles. Does everybody understand that? Right? Everybody kind of knows that? Uh, But he didn't go out for 14 years. He was rethinking the word, reading it, being trained by the church. He goes up and trains other churches, but he doesn't go out to be what God had called him to be, uh, for 14 years, and he doesn't find that out. The Holy Spirit doesn't tell him until they, they were praying and fasting together in Antioch, until they had laid a foundation, until Jerusalem had been persecuted, until they knew that, you know, 
Uh, they knew by Christ's words that the Jerusalem church wasn't going to stand anyways, right? That there was going to be a covenant lawsuit against Jerusalem, the city itself, that it was all going to come to ruin. Uh, you know, Matthew 24, Luke 21, something like that. Um, and then Mark, I can't remember the chapter, the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. Um, but Christ had already told them, and they knew that was, that was going to happen, and then they see it come to fruition in the beginning, in the seminal ideas in Acts chapter 8 of, you know, the Christians getting dispersed mm -hmm. and going out and planting a church in Antioch, and I think Paul knew that this was going to be a model and a pattern, uh, that they at least knew that the church in Jerusalem um, wasn't going to survive. They knew that for sure, uh, and that the church in Antioch would survive, and the church in Antioch has survived um, throughout the generations. And using that as a model and pattern, right, is, which is why he's always reporting back to Antioch. Uh, and part of that model and pattern, because they get it from Christ and the rest of Scripture, is that like daily prayer and reliance on God of seeking him, being moved by the Holy Spirit. And they directly don't go out until they had corporate prayer and fasting and a word from the Holy Spirit until he sent, right? So uh, I, I believe uh, to some degree, you know, maybe not as strong as Paul, that everybody gets a calling in, upon conversion. Like, I'm going to be this. The gifts and calling of God are irrevocable, you know, Romans 11. I knew, uh, you know, on my own personal kind of testimony of some things that the Lord was going to bring me to, like in, you know, a couple month, like six month period upon my conversion. So I continue to like to pray and fast. I still think that the Lord wants to bring in uh, Muslims and that I want to be a witness to Muslims in particular. So I continue to pray and fast and seek that, right? Uh, I think that, you know, the Lord does give each individual a calling. Uh, and if you don't have a deep sense of God of what your calling is, then you need to seek that. Uh, pray and fast and seek God towards that and work towards it and wait for the Lord uh, to release you into that calling and be ready, actively waiting and seeking and praying and fasting uh, towards that, right? And that's what Paul did. Um, so then after the church in Antioch, uh, we look at the churches planted by Paul uh, who are partners in prayer. All right, so these are the things that Paul tells the other churches to be praying for him. Um, I totally listed these again somewhere uh, under another point. So uh, I'll actually read that Colossians 4, 2 through 4. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well that God will open up a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, for which I have also been imprisoned, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. And let's just go through all these, Teresa, if you want to read Ephesians six eighteen through 20. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And pray on my behalf, that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, 
that in proclaiming it, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Then Jane, back to you, Second Thessalonians 3, 1 through 3. Yeah, and then I'm just going to add, you know, First Thessalonians 5.17. Uh, really easy one to memorize if you guys are working on memorizing. Pray without ceasing. <laughs> it's almost as easy. Got it. <laughs> Jesus wept. John 11.35. Got that one. <laughs> I just memorized that one for jokes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> to be implemented into jokes. Um, so as Paul's, like, teaching and training and discipling, churches and church leaders uh, a major emphasis in Paul and all of his epistles is to pray without ceasing continue in prayer continue steadfastly with prayer and thanksgiving offering up supplications thanksgiving right intercessions like all this like it's a very clear model as you read the epistles Um, I don't think there's any epistle that doesn't say something about prayer I also don't think there's any epistle that doesn't say anything about Jesus. But you can put me to the test. <laughs> uh, I've got a keen, keen intuition on that one. <laughs> Austin, put me to the test. Read all the epistles tonight. Okay. <laughs> Tell me if I'm wrong. <laughs> that could be your all-night prayer. <laughs> right? So I don't really need to make that point. That's pretty clear uh, in all the all the epistles and and Paul's teaching throughout all the churches to continue in prayer, that prayer is a major foundation in the daily life of the church, right? We, in our, like, uh, Gnosticism, uh, you know, anti-God sovereignty-ism, have gotten away from, like, prayer, like, in just our American Christian culture. And we really, if we want to be effective we really want to see like a visitation from God we need to like implement it and continue and pray without ceasing and it build and build and build till till we got like Teresa's gonna organize like a 24-hour prayer room and put people on the schedule (laughs) 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 when we get yeah, Red Hot House of Prayer. That's right, yeah. You guys, you guys have... can come over. If you can pray in your dreams, I'll be praying <laughs> at night. Remotely. Right? All right, so um, uh, I might have you know, erased it. I don't know how I got to this, but uh, so some examples of prayer in the Old Testament, New Testament is a better covenant. Like just like study some powerful prayers like Jehoshaphat, and do we find out that was? Yes. Second Chronicles 20, you know, examine his prayer, examine Nehemiah's prayer in Nehemiah 1. Uh, I think Ezra has a pretty, pretty substantial prayer. Uh, Moses' prayer in Genesis 18. Um, what did I say? Abraham? I said Moses. I meant Abraham. Look at Moses' prayer in uh, Exodus 33. Could be 15. Could be 33. Moses prayed a lot. Hezekiah is 
Assyria. Yeah, right. Daniel's prayers, right? Like examine all of these and like we have like a better covenant. We have a more sure and lively spirit-filled covenant to see better things. Like greater works than these my people will do. Greater works than these will be accomplished, Jesus said. And like he turned like water into wine. <laughs> greater, more widespread is going to be the glory of God uh, through the people of God, through the Spirit of God. All right, and everything's going to be enacted through prayer. So uh, let's look at, you know, for the rest of our like 13 minutes, uh, look at like, I think I put four on there, but I, I might be more than four because I changed a lot of this around. Um, priorities in prayer, prayer goals for GCF and, and RCF. Uh, so Hosea ten twelve says, Sow with a view to, to righteousness, reap in accordance with kindness, break up your fallow ground, for it is a time to seek the Lord until he comes to rain righteousness upon you. And your kingdom come, Matthew 6, 10, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right? So we should be praying towards our priorities going to be geared on the kingdom of heaven coming manifestly present in the earth now that we break up the hard, untilled, unworked ground uh, that seeds won't receive. Right? If you lay a seed on rocky ground, it'll either be shallow or it'll be eaten or it'll grow up with weeds. Right, Matthew 13 principles there. We need to break it up so it'll it'll go deep. We need to pray into the things, into the, the hardness of the soils of hearts, of the cultures and societies, into our church and some of those things specifically are going to be you know humility, humility, holiness, and wholesomeness. And revival always starts with radical repentance. Uh, look at all the prayers, all the famous prayers throughout scripture they always start with and or include repentance right like nehemiah's prayer says like even me and my father's house have sinned and i don't know that much about nehemiah before that but he says even i have sinned <laughs> when you get to that level of like holiness and then humility where where you're praying like lord even i have sinned and <laughs> Right, not like of course, of course I've sinned. I'm still at that point, again, right? You know, coming with like you know humility, humbling ourselves, you know, being introspect, asking questions of himself, uh, what ideas, what am I wrong about in ideas, attitudes uh, towards outsiders, what kind of wrong motivations do I have, what kind of wrong theologies do I have, what kind of uh, how do those work itself out? Um, you know, uh, we've gone there, have I prepared my heart? Do I have uh, the right emphasis and motivation? And oh, I'm sorry, am I passionate and zealous and disciplined as the Lord wants? Am I under authority? Uh, do I take besetting sins too lightly? Am I teachable? Right? Do I prepare my heart for, for worship on Friday nights, on Sundays? Uh, you know, all of this. Be introspect about it. You know, cry out to the Lord. Um, for change. Like, it's not going to change until you do. You can't change your own heart. I'm sorry, that's what's wrong. <laughs> like, your, your evil and wicked heart can't change your evil and wicked heart. You need a new one. Um, you know, Matthew 19, 26, uh, the famous verse, 
that we all like to do, like the second most uh, perverted verse is, uh, for with God, nothing is impossible. <laughs> right? It's probably the second or third most perverted verse in all of American Christianity. But, you know, after Christ is preaching that, like, it's going to be hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. It's going to be easier for an, a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they say, like, well, God, uh, how is this possible? Who could be saved? Who could be saved? And Jesus is like, well, with man it's impossible, but with God all things are possible, right? Not like, hey, uh, how am I gonna like, how am I gonna slam dunk this year? Well, with God all things are possible. <laughs> <laughs> theoretically, is that true? Well, theoretically, probably you can slam dunk. <laughs> Uh, with God, all things are possible, but his ways, he might want you to train for it. And if you're like 4'10", probably not. Lower <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Could God, could God change a circle into a square? No, that's not actually possible, right? You'd have to change the definition of what a circle is or a square. Um, so it's not like what we think of and what we would pervert like into like all things are possible. Like with salvation, with change of heart, repentance, uh, for a rich man to actually like, uh, like renounce his, his kingdom and his glory and like fall at the feet of Christ uh, and be converted is like only possible through Christ, through God, right? Uh, the rich young ruler went away sad. Sorry, sorry. All right, so, like, you know, we should really, like, you know, be, first and foremost, like, pray, like, be selfish in your prayers for yourself. Like, God does want you to be humble. You could, you could be assured uh, that God will complete his will if you pray to him and ask him to change your heart towards humility, to be more reverent towards him. You know, but if you pray in faith, don't be double-minded about it. Um, you can be selfish in your prayers. That's all right. I think that's where... Um, I think that's actually a good principle to kind of start there, especially if like you're a leader uh, in your home, in work, uh, in your household, you know, if you're like a whatever. Like I think that's actually appropriate to start, you know, praying for yourself and start with repentance and humility, right? All right, pray to advance the kingdom, you know, specifically the spiritual climate at right state, opponents, and in the Miami Valley. Uh, it's like really, that's really wicked and bad out there. The spiritual climate here at Wright State is secular humanism, rejection and hatred of God, that all things are okay and moral if it's done in tolerance, unless it's intolerant towards their tolerant beliefs. <laughs> right? Hey. Come on in. Uh, so, you know, like as you pray, uh, you know, one of the goals is that like we would actually change and that the spirit would fall on campus and in our groups in such a way uh, that the manifest presence of God would be known to outsiders. Right in Acts, in Acts 2, it says that like an awe came on many of them. Like are we conducting and praying in such a way um, that like people are going to notice that the manifest presence of God is with us as a people? as a campus group? Is our worship that dynamic and so awesome and spirit-filled 
that the people, uh, not to the great, that the people that are playing video games in the room, just the door behind us, can sense the presence of God that something really powerful is going on. That's what we should be reaching and, and going for and praying towards. Um, you know, at at opponents, think of uh, uh, Malachi three or four. I can't remember. I think it's like fifteen or sixteen that he's going to like restore um, fathers to the fatherless. Like we're going on a campus at opponents of a spiritual climate where nobody has a dad. Ninety percent, I'm guessing, has a has a father or father figure, and it's a really dark place to go, and it's really hard to break up that fallow ground um, at opponents, you know, in just a different way than it is here. And, you know, in the Miami Valley in, in general, like in East Staten, where we are with the Christian unity, right? Like on Fridays now, it's a regular part of our corporate prayer to include praying for another church, right? So uh, pray for yourself, pray for your household, pray for, you know, us as a church, as campus groups, Pray for the areas of influence uh, that Christ has set you up in. All right. Uh, all right. Point C. Moving right along. Um, pray for the right team, materials, resources, and strategies for GCF and RCF. Uh, so where are we at? Sydney? Are we that? Is that where we're at? Uh, can you read Romans 15:30 and then... Uh, Sam Wante, can you read First Thessalonians five twenty five? I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. All right, go ahead and just read that. We'll just read them both in conjunction. First, First Thessalonians five twenty five. Brothers, pray for us. <laughs> right? He's pretty... That's another verse you can memorize pretty simply. First uh, Thessalonians 5.17, uh, pray without ceasing, and 5.25, brothers, pray for us. Right? So, uh, like, we actually need, you know, it's a truth and reality that uh, as much as we, like, want to implement, you know, into the daily life of RCF and GCF strategies to go out and evangelize, like, what we're saying in this whole Bible study is we need to have that foundation of prayer for Christ's kingdom to come on earth, right, to be praying his will, his plan uh, into it, or else it's ineffective, it's unfruitful, and it doesn't matter, right? So part of that is praying for those people who are going out, praying, you know, for divine appointments to be met, that, uh, that we meet the people that God has already called and elected who need to hear the gospel to receive Christ, that we would meet those people specifically, Right? So as we go out in teams, we're going to start you know, praying for 30 minutes an hour and worshiping beforehand before we go out and evangelize because we don't want to waste our time. I think, uh, you know, though I was like super happy uh, that we went out. I guess we could say we implemented this a little bit on Friday because of a short notice in going out and evangelizing. Uh, and we did have Friday night worship, which we focused on evangelism. And uh, Adam and I, we only talked to two people. Uh, between Adam and I. Um, so we prayed for them, you know, a little bit afterwards with those people that we did meet, that the Lord would work through his word that was preached to do an effect in these people's hearts. Right? It's God that gives the increase. So pray for the teams, the right people, the right resources, strategies, 
right? Like when Paul prays in you know First Corinthians that they would know uh, the knowledge of Christ's will and all spiritual wisdom or spiritual knowledge and wisdom. If I'm quoting that right, you know, how are we going to implement that uh, into the world and authority that Christ has put us in in East Dayton, downtown, right state, opponents, right? Continue to pray for them, and then D. Uh, the four, fourth point, pray for an outpoint of the Holy Spirit, boldness to witness, open doors, clear understanding of the gospel, and prepared hearts leading to divine appointments, right? Everything we just read in the church planted uh, by Paul and his partners for prayer, right? So pray for, for specific things. You know, you kind of have to know, which is why we're saving the gospel. Like, we haven't even talked about the gospel or evangelism <laughs> in this series yet, and uh, Jane's like really waiting to get to the gospel. <laughs> like she can't wait to hear it. Uh, well, it's going to be in about like four weeks, <laughs> so so keep coming. Uh, we'll eventually get there, right? But Paul prays that the word in First Thessalonians would would speed ahead, right? So you kind of have to know a little bit, or it helps to know a little bit about like how people are converted and how Christ uses, right? So pray that like people would come to conviction, right? Pray that people would come to repentance that they would see how dark and futile their minds are and their thinking and their worldview, that they would, uh, you know, recognize, like, Scripture as their source of truth and revelation. And, you know, like Ephesians uh, 2 says, that they actually find themselves, like, without God and without hope, that there's no other, there's no other source of salvation and then their will and their mind and their way of thinking and their worldview and their family, that there's, like, uh, it's a regular thing that I pray for people who are separated from Christ, that they are not happy, not content, find no source of hope or enjoyment in the world <laughs> until they come to Christ because they're living a lie. I don't pray that like they experience like, you know, uh, it's not, I don't think biblically sound to say that they experience Christ's love right off the bat. That's, you don't experience the depths of Christ's love until you experience the depths of your sin or else you're really uh, you know, preaching another gospel, right? So pray those type of things for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, you know, that uh, everybody has, like, this, like, stupid fear of man of, like, what's going to happen to me if I talk to somebody that I've never met before who <laughs> might think I'm weird, who I will may maybe never meet again, uh, <laughs> and I care about what they think of me, of opposed to, like, the creator of the universe who has commissioned me to go and preach the gospel. <laughs> like, what are we doing? <laughs> like, like, that's, like, like when you think about it, like, that's really wicked of us, you know? So, you know, pray for the fear of man. Pray against it. Uh, not, don't pray for the fear of man. <laughs> You've already got it. <laughs> you know? Don't be praying. Pray against it. Uh, that we'd have boldness, open doors, like a clear understanding, like, you know, the gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing, but those who are, uh, you know, being made alive, it's life and renewal in Christ, right? Like, that, they would be like, we can present the mystery of Christ clearly. Figure that one out. Pray about it. <laughs> All right, so, uh, you know, just in kind of ending uh, for this week, you know, this program that we're implementing and working towards is designed for worshiping, praying, giving, church, and we're expecting by faith uh, and our knowledge of Scripture an outpouring and visitation from God that's going to, like, bear fruit that remains. Like, I don't know if you guys uh, knew this. I actually walked through 
uh, I was walking around a neighborhood on uh, what day is it? on Tuesday on Sunday uh, like everybody's gonna die everybody's gonna get a gravestone and the works you do in this life are either gonna be made of precious metals gold and silver and gonna last the fire and remain to the next generation or it's gonna be burned up as wood and hay and it's not gonna last and we're seeking uh, even from a programmatic stance of a pattern that we find in scripture that's going to last generations, thousands, hundreds or thousands of years down the road of what we implement today. It's really, really important that we go back to the biblical model and pattern, you know, first and foremost found in Christ and then in uh, the church, uh, you know, in Antioch and planted, um, you know, and then we, we see throughout history. So uh, bear with us as we will eventually get to the gospel and send you out. <laughs> but it is really imperative. Like this is why we belabor this like so long to like get to the gospel. Uh, so somebody want to close us in prayer? Can I, can I uh, close this with some comments and then prayer? Yeah. So um, I just wanted to uh, jump on board with this. This, this uh, you know, Stephen's using a lot of material that, that uh, I helped him develop over the years. And it kind of started with uh, a thing we used to call dorm evangelism back in Bowling Green. And, uh, you know, um, there's a little history I want you to hear of this. Um, in the early 70s, we were a very organically evangelistic church. In other words, it was a very on fire group who had come out of, we were all ex-hippies and, you know, had gotten saved and we were, you know, it was not uncommon for people in the church to read their Bibles three and four and five hours a day. And you were always inviting someone to the meetings and you were always sharing the gospel. And on Friday nights when a bunch of single people would get together, someone would say, what, what are you going to do? And someone else would say, let's worship for a while. And so some guitars would come out and it was just, you know, it wasn't an official church meeting. It was just a uh, 30 or 40 people in the, in the church that were single hanging out. And then someone else would go, what do you want to do after we worship for an hour or two? They'd go, let's go share the gospel. We'd go down to the bars and share the gospel and stuff. And then uh, when we started doing some home groups and discipleship and so forth, frankly, we did misapplied some ideas so that the church kind of got turned inward and got kind of natural minded. And there's a natural minded mindset that doesn't believe if you go out and share the gospel that you'll see miraculous fruit. But the truth of the matter is the scripture all through the New Testament, if you were to take every verse on evangelism, there is. There's two kinds of evangelism that you can't get around. One is that we live as a community in such a way that the, the people around us are forced to see that we, by God's grace, we live a great lifestyle and, and, and there's joy and, and integrity and, and <coughs> knowledge and wisdom and purpose and, you know, we have great households and, you know, everything like that. But uh, on the other hand, some what will happen is people uh, wrongly think in either or terms. So people will say, oh, that's called lifestyle or sometimes friendship or relational evangelism. That's all we need. We don't need to go out and proclaim the gospel to strangers. But the truth is the Bible has lots of verses about going out and proclaiming the kingdom of God and the gospel to strangers. And they did it all through the New Testament, both in the gospels and the epistles. The book of Acts is loaded with that. 
And so um, I wanted to point out at the end of Stephen's message, he taught and points these that pray for the right team, materials, resources, strategies. I want to talk a little bit about strategies. Mo as he's going to be teaching you as you go on, most strategies that exist out there today, some of this, uh, it started with uh, a pastor just challenged me to go sharing the gospel in the dorms. So when we first did this, we had no training in this. And we literally uh, would get eight or ten people together uh, Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, and Wednesday night. Uh, it was different people on different nights, and we, would, we were like crammed into this little room that was my office, and we could literally fit eight or ten chairs around, the, around in a circle in there, and that was it. And we had about that many people every night. We'd have this wonderful worship and prayer for an hour, an hour and a half, and then we'd go in teams of two to the dorms. And uh, um, there were lots of, of amazing testimonies of people coming to Christ that way. And uh, so, um, you know, on the other hand, the other thing that um, we found out is that most programs that are out there, we, we started studying other programs. There's one called Evangelism Explosion that came out of Coral Ridge Ministries. and took a church that was like 40 or 50 people to 800 and that kind of thing and uh, became one of the most famous churches in America. It was D. James Kennedy's church before he died. Then uh, it was uh, Billy Graham's grandson's was the pastor there for a long time. But anyway, uh, most programs are designed to get a decision the first day and because we're trying to make disciples not decisions what we really tr did was we tried to just get people what I call on the hook the first day. In other words, I wasn't trying to get, I have never believed in praying the sinner's prayer with somebody I just met. I actually think Matthew 13, Jesus talks about the four types of sow seed and the one that immediately springs up with joy but has no firm root in himself. If you can get someone to pray the sinner's prayer the first time you talk to them, Either God did an amazing amount of preparation work before you got there, or you had a shallow message, or they had a shallow understanding of it, <laughs> or combinations thereof. And so I have never prayed with anyone to receive Christ the first time I met them who actually stuck it out at the Christian faith. So all I'm trying to do is, is bring them to a place where I can sense the Holy Spirit drawing them. Uh, Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father draws them where I can sense they're coming under conviction of sin, and where I challenge them to be open-minded enough to continue to study the Bible with us. And then I make the next appointment, I give them what I want them to read, and I, I try to get the next appointment in, in three or four days instead of a week so that they don't lose the, what we've talked about by then. And I try to get them to read something, you know, a booklet, uh, some scriptures, uh, um, the Gospel of John, the Gospel of Matthew, something. And, uh, and every time I meet with them, I give them something to read, and I make the next appointment. And that's the most important part of the meeting, is getting the next appointment and getting them to, to say, yeah, I'll read this. John, John Bradbury and I used to do this. Um, you know, I would give him a book to read, a portion of Scripture to read, and, and we'd have breakfast, and then how about next Thursday morning at 7 o'clock at Bob Evans? I just ate at that same Bob Evans this afternoon. Uh, two Bob Evanses today. But uh, it was a Bob Evans day. But uh, um, Wapakoneta Bob Evans and uh, Miller Lane Bob Evans.
What's that? So this place the Lord uses. That's right. God is moving it, Bob Evans. <laughs> down on the farm. <laughs> the sower of the seed, it was all done on a farm. But, uh, <laughs> no. So uh, these scriptures that he listed in, in point D, which he covers up in point D up here, those are some of the most important. I would ask you to all memorize those. Those, are, those will keep you praying. If you don't pray, we always said there's a time to pray and a time to say. If there's not an atmosphere of prayer, there's no point in going out. But frankly, if no one's going out to proclaim the gospel, there's no point in having prayer meetings. Did you hear that? I really mean that. If, you, if no one's going out to share the gospel, there's no point in having a bunch of prayer meetings. You know what? You will dry up if there's no outlet for ministry, discipleship, evangelism, and so forth. And there's nothing better than what God does on cold call evangelism. <coughs> so a couple quick stories, even though it's late. Um, there was a, a night that God led us to cry out, God, pour out your Holy Spirit on this campus. And we just always prayed stuff like that. But that night there was a, a, a special sense of God's Spirit on that prayer that was so powerful. And during the time, a lot of people were getting baptized in the Spirit on the campus uh, to the point where uh, I ended up reading a John MacArthur book against the uh, tongues and stuff being for today. And then get, and we hang up posters across the campus and I did a biblical rebuttal of his writings against the Holy Spirit. And uh, 88 people came to that meeting, over 20 some of whom got baptized in the Holy Spirit af after the meeting. Uh, in, at our campus ministry house one at a time over the next two weeks. And the, so many people were getting baptized in the spirit that about eight Christian groups on campus, uh, the Navigators group did a 10 week series against the gifts of the spirit being for today. Uh, there was a, a, a Disciples of Christ group that two of their leading guys uh, came over to the campus ministry house and got baptized in the spirit. And within two months, they had led over 30 of their, of their members, out of 200 members, into the baptism in the Spirit before the leaders caught on that they were doing this and kicked them out. They, uh, they decided they didn't want to join us because they decided our community discipleship emphasis was too radical. So they went up to a nearby town called Perrysburg, which is eight miles away, and they went to a, a charismatic Pentecostal-type church called the Assemblies of God Church up there. The pastor discerned God was moving on Bowling Green campus, and they explained, we don't want, we want to be part of this. We were called the Fellowship of Christian Students because we, we don't like their discipleship, and it's, it's too radical. We don't want all that, but we want the baptism in the Spirit and so forth. So he discerned that God was moving so much on the campus that he sent as assistant pastor. Uh, originally, he was just meeting with these guys on Wednesday nights. He sent them to start a Sunday meeting, Today, that is called Day Springs Assemblies of God Church. It's considered the largest, most on fire Assemblies of God Church in the state of Ohio. And it's in Bowling Green, Ohio. And it grew out of those prayer meetings and going to share the gospel on campus. And the night we prayed that, we, we knocked on the door of a guy named Drew Heiss, who I'm still friends with Facebook. He's very involved in picketing abortion and clinics and stuff like that. And Drew had just gone through 10 weeks of teaching that the gifts of the Spirit are for today. And everything he brought up, God just gave me a bold answer, unusually bold. There was a kind of an anointing that I don't normally have. 
And my wife, uh, we weren't married yet, but she was my partner that night. We would On Sunday nights, we were a team because we never had any other nights that we could have a date. So we would go out sharing a gospel on Sunday night, and that was our date. And uh, <laughs> that was our weekly date. But uh, uh, led to a good marriage. But uh, um, he was speaking in tongues when we left his room that night and uh, worshiping the Lord. And he's stayed close to the Lord for, uh, I guess it's been over 40 years now, or thir over 30 37 years so uh, you know there was this night where um, for some reason we um, we just could, couldn't get anyone to say yes you know we had a speech speech where we knock on the door we say hi we're from the fellowship of Christian students we'd like to know if we could take a few minutes of, we'd never say a few minutes of your time because it's not their time that's a strategy we would never use the phrase your time. We'd just say, we'd like to know if we can take a few minutes to talk with you about the Christian faith and lifestyle. We wouldn't say Jesus Christ till we got in their room because that name is so powerful, they would say no if we said Jesus. If we said the Christian faith and lifestyle, they would think, ah, this sounds kind of harmless. <laughs> and then we'd tell them all about Jesus when we got in their room. And uh, you know, one night we couldn't get anyone to let us in their room. And normally we got in two or three, four rooms in an evening, had a half hour conversation with each other. <laughs> we were two hours knocking on doors and couldn't get in a room. And I forget who was with me that night, one of the brothers in the fellowship. And we were in a men's dorm in this, uh, I think it was a guy named Randy Bloom, but uh, who's a medical doctor today. And uh, this guy named Eric Ryan, who's still a good friend, would let us in and he was in there with his girlfriend named Pam Kibbe and uh, you know we we had what we called some diagnostic questions that we turned and then we had a, a question that we called the uh, I forget focusing question and, and basically you know when we got to that you kind of ask him what his understanding of Christ and Christianity is and he actually goes, well, you know, my sister, she's a, what you call a charismatic Christian. You ever heard of that? And I said, I think so. <laughs> you know, I think we've heard of that. And uh, he goes, well, I've been thinking about becoming one myself, but I haven't I just, I haven't become one. And uh, um, you know, later that evening we asked Pam, what do you think? And she, she said, I've been waiting to see what Eric did. When neither one of them received Christ that night, but both of them had received Christ within three or four weeks. And we started having about two Bible studies a week with them going forward. And uh, I, ironically, after they'd been dating, to, uh, after they'd been Christians two or three months, Pam decided that Eric wasn't as serious about the Lord as what she wanted. So she broke up with him and they're both married to different people today and they're both fine Christians and still serving the Lord today. But their relationship uh, didn't outlast uh, that, you know. But, God, but their relationship with Christ outlasted that. And uh, there was no reason they had to necessarily get married. They, uh, so uh, there was another guy named Randy Harris who had Tourette's syndrome really badly. And he literally would go and stuff like that. He had Tourette's syndrome very badly. And uh, when we knocked on his door, he said, I just prayed with a guy named Pat Robertson on TV to receive Christ. And I prayed that God would send some Christians to me. And it was like one hour later when we were knocking on his door. And not only did he become a member of our church, uh, he got in a, in a meeting that God was moving really powerfully. He got totally delivered from demons, got totally healed of Tourette's syndrome, has never had a symptom of it again. And that's, again, been 35 years or more. He's married with kids, wonderful life. 
and uh, and God ordained that appointment, uh, and He ordained that uh, that He was actually channel surfing. Never had seen the, the Christian television show called The 700 Club, nor watched Christian television before. Watched that show, prayed to receive Christ, and prayed that God would send some Christians to him to help him with what was next. And, and we knocked on his door shortly after he prayed that. So just to let you know, the, the other thing that we noticed is that there are some people like my wife who were, who were so gifted at this my wife would regularly lead young ladies to Christ. We're still friends with many of them. Uh, not so many people had that experience, but everyone always had the experience when they were doing that of fearing man less and noticing when God was opening doors to them in their regular life. You know, there's doors God's opening in your dorm, in your place of business that you miss every day. You know, when I tell a classic story of a guy I had lunch with today, in fact, I uh, probably shouldn't tell his name, but you all, a lot of you know him. But uh, he was uh, addicted to sports magazines, and I was always challenging him to uh, get to know the Bible more. And I'm, you know, like he has now actually read the whole Bible every year for over 30 straight years now. But at the time, he had given up all his subscriptions to like Sports Illustrated and the Sporting News and Baseball Weekly and, and all these things. Like he's a sports nut. And uh, in fact, he was at the Cleveland Cavaliers game last night. And uh, so a lot of you know who I'm talking about. But, uh, but in any way, any case, um, so after he did this, he's reading the Bible more, but he was still like into a sports magazine. So he would just go and buy them at the, local, the nearby convenience store. But in uh, one day, he, uh, he was talking to the lady at the cash register and she goes what is it with you she goes you always are in a cheerful mood everyone else is grouchy and rude you always ask me how i'm doing and you take genuine interest in me and my family and what is what you know why are you so, so happy and so considerate and so forth and he goes i guess i'm just a happy kind of guy and he left i mean if that was ever a door to tell someone about jesus i don't know what was so i love to tease him to this day he's still a friend of mine about about that uh you know god will open you doors and you one of the things that will happen when you're going out to share the gospel is you won't miss those doors as often because god you you know you probably missed three or four doors this week already yeah it's only tuesday <laughs> so Anyway, that's enough on that.